Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Today's episode is a little different. Uh, it is a recording of our first live event. Um, pretty recently, I was asked to introduce a showing of Monty Python and the Holy Grail at the Clinton Street Theater. The organizers of the event had heard the podcast, and they asked me to talk about real, actual Arthurian history before showing a movie about silly, frivolous parody Arthurian history. And I said, yeah, sure, I'm up for it. Uh, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I have watched it I don't know how many times. And Monty Python, along with Douglas Adams, went a long way in shaping what I think of as funny. So it was a joy to be part of the event. Also, Arthurian history is not something that I am necessarily up on, and it was a lot of fun to immerse myself in Geoffrey of Monmouth and Chrétien de Troyes and a lot of secondary sources uh, for a week. Gave me a great opportunity to learn more than I ever wanted to about Arthurian history. And it was great to talk at the Clinton Street Theater. It is one of the oldest theaters in the United States. It opened in 1915, so as of 2015, it's 100 years old, and that is kind of amazingly cool. Um, it is a live event recording that you're about to hear, so the audio is a little off, but hey, that comes with the territory. Here we go, me on Arthurian history, live at the Clinton Street Theater. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. All right, wonderful. Hello, Clinton Street Theater. <laughs> By the way, if you're ever behind a microphone and you need to get applause out of a group, just say, hello, venue. Or, hello, Portland. Or, exactly, there? There you go, there you go. It works, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to start out first with a big old buzzkill and tell you <clears throat> that in all probability, King Arthur was not a real guy. Sorry. Or, or if he was, or if he was, it's weird that we don't have any real good records of him. So, sorry about that. Also, like, Santa Claus, not a thing. Sorry. Yeah. Oh my god, how the tides have turned, the applause has gone elsewhere. Uh, and I'm not going to spend the talk today um, going over all the spurious evidence that we may or may not have for Arthur. Uh, I honestly don't think that would be all that interesting. Um, what I do think is kind of fun to look into, though, is how stories change, how stories evolve, and how Arthurian legends are a lot like comic books. <laughs> Bear with me. Yeah. Um, so the first mention of a guy called Arthur, um, who's sort of kind of maybe Arthur-esque, they're in Welsh. Um, but, you know, never mind those. They're in Welsh, they're not King Arthur at all, it's just a name popping up in a few documents. The first big Arthur story is Geoffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain from 1136. And it's not just about Arthur, it's this whole sprawling, amazing, kind of weird pseudo-history of Britain that claims that the Trojans, yes, those guys, you know, from the Iliad, those guys, they founded British civilization. So, that's weird. And uh, it's weird that Virgil, he had the same thing going in the Aeneid. He had the Trojans founding Rome in his big epic poem, and Geoffrey of Monmouth just does the exact same thing. Remember when I said that Arthurian legend is kind of like comic books? 
Yeah, comics are notorious for characters like just being ripped off from one publisher to the next. Thanos is just a total ripoff of Darkseid. And that's okay. And Jeffrey of Monmouth is just completely ripping off Virgil. That's okay. By the way, I've always thought that it's a little bit weird you'd want to claim ancestry of the Trojans because they're lost and they were fooled by a giant wooden horse. <laughs> Guys, giant wooden horses have dudes inside of them. Haven't you read? Yeah, well, haven't you read the story? You should know that. Though, I think that that whole Trojan connection does make the joke later on in, with this movie, with the giant wooden rabbit, a little bit more apt. Oh, spoilers, I'm sorry. Is there anyone here who hasn't seen this movie? Okay, oh my god! You monster! Alright. Well, slit spoilers. There's a giant wooden rabbit later on in the movie. So, Monmouth, his version of Arthur, he's a conqueror. Uh, you know Arthur is kind of like a wise king who's really thoughtful and he like it has really into equality and round tables and no one being at the head of the table because it's round. <laughs> yeah, we're not there yet. Um, for Geoffrey of Monmouth, Arthur, he's a dude who slaughters Scots, Picts, Danes, and Icelanders. And after he's done killing those people, decides he's going to march on Rome. Yes, that Rome, the one with Caesars and gladiators and stuff in it. Uh, by the way, happy Ides of March, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed I hope, I hope everybody enjoyed murdering Julius Caesar on the way to the Clinton today. Um, so Arthur, he's about to go, he's about to go mess up Rome, which is kind of cool, but he's betrayed by Mordred. And in this version, the Geoffrey of Monmouth version, uh, Mordred, <clears throat> He's taken Arthur's special lady, Guinevere, as his queen, and he's usurped the throne. Um, and don't worry, it's not weird because, I mean, it's weird, but it's not weird because in this version, Mordred's not Arthur's son yet. He's his nephew. That makes it slightly less weird. <laughs> so Arthur, of course, has to go back. He has to go kill the usurper, Mordred. He does, but Arthur is wounded. He gets, like, wounded in the head part. And he's taken away to the holy island of Avalon to heal his wounds, and that's it. That's the Geoffrey of Monmouth story. And absent from Geoffrey of Monmouth is the stuff like Lancelot, like the Holy Grail, and Mordred being Arthur's secret evil love child. Um, this is the first big iteration of Arthur, and it doesn't have a lot of the bits that we consider really iconic. Again, that's the case with a lot of comic books characters. And I'm not being flipped with this, with this comparison. I really believe this. For example, if you go back and read a whole bunch of the original Joe Siegel and Jerry Schuster Superman stories, a lot of what we associate with Superman, it's not there. Kryptonite, for instance, was added in the radio serials. And in those first Superman comics, he can't fly. Well, I know. When I first read those, I was like, why isn't Superman flying? No, he just jumps about. He just jumps around a whole bunch. You know, leap tall buildings in a single bound? He just leaps tall buildings in a single bound. None of this, like, you'll believe a man can fly stuff. So even though there are a lot of things that we associate with Arthur as being essential, it's worth noting that many of those things are the products that lots of other writers added when they were elaborating on the story. Just like in comics, you get layers and layers and layers from lots of different creators coming in, 
and using the same characters and ideas. And the next guy who'd really elaborate on Arthur and added a whole bunch of stuff was a dude from France whose name I will say wrong. Uh, the Arthurian romances became romances, plural, with Chrétien de Troyes, sure that's how you say his name, um, who gave us all the various individual knight stories. And in Chrétien's stories, uh, Camelot and Arthur are kind of like a home base, and the various knights go off and have a quest and do chivalry. And think of it like this. Geoffrey and Bonda's story, that's kind of like the X-Men team book, where it's all set at the main X-Men place. In Cretian, he gives us the various solo titles where the knights go off on their own and do quests, you know, on their lonesomes. Like that one time when Lancelot went to Japan to fight the Yakuza and had a duel with the crime lord, and then there was some stuff about honor, and he won a katana and got engaged to a lady. Never mind, that was Wolverine in his first solo series. <laughs> but you get the idea. Cretien de Troyes turns the Arthurian romance into this kind of shared universe sort of thing, where all the larger than life characters go out and do their own thing, like superheroes branching out into solo titles. In a lot of Cretien's tales, Arthur is actually pretty de-emphasized. It's all about the knights doing stuff. And Arthur kind of hangs back at Camelot. He's just kind of like King Dad sitting there, uh, overseeing stuff. He's pretty inactive. Sort of like Charles Xavier just hanging out at Westchester at the X-Mansion. Arthur X. Arthur X, okay. And, uh, you know, Storm and Nightcrawler and Cyclops go out and they punch Sentinels. And again, I'm not being glib. I do think that this comparison to comics is apt. Uh, and I really want to talk about Percival's solo series. The Percival story the Percival story is where we get the Holy Grail. And in the first appearance of the Holy Grail, Percival, he's this young knight, he's walking around, doing knight stuff. He finds this mysterious castle, and it's ruled by a guy called the Fisher King. And they're at this feast, and the king displays several marvels before Percival, his visitor. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the stuff from Chrétien de Troyes, about what he sees at this feast. And various different marvels are being brought in uh, for Percival to look at and, well, marvel over. So, one second, sorry, looking at my notes. So one of the things that's brought in, is, for example, is a candelabra, which looks all special and everything. I'm gonna start there. Percival's sitting down, wonders are happening, quote, in each of the candelabra, there was at least ten candles burning. A maiden accompanying the two young men was carrying a grail in her two hands. The young guys are carrying candelabra. The maiden is carrying the grail. She was beautiful, noble, and richly attired. After she had entered the hall carrying the grail, the room was so brightly illuminated that the candles lost their brilliance like stars when the sun rises, or the moon. After her came another maiden carrying a silver carving platter. The grail which preceded was of fine, pure gold, Set in the grail were precious stones of every kind, the best and costliest to be found in earth or sea. The grail stones were finer than any other in the world, beyond a doubt. Like the lance bearer, there was a lance earlier that had blood come out of it. Um, maybe kind of like the spear of Longius, the spear that like stabbed Jesus when he was hanging from the cross. You know, it's from Evangelion. Um, that was earlier. Like the lance bearer, they passed before uh, the bed and into another chamber. 
The young knight watched them pass by, but did not dare ask who was served from the grail. For in his heart he always kept the wise gentleman's advice. He was told to stay silent. Yet I fear this may lead to trouble, for I have heard it said that at times it is just as wrong to keep too silent as to talk too much. Whether for good or for ill, he did not ask or inquire anything of them. The lord of the castle ordered his square to bring water and prepare the tablecloths. Those whose duty it was did these things as they were accustomed. So, young Percival, uh, he sees a whole bunch of weird stuff kind of be presented to him, spears, candelabra, a grail. He doesn't say anything. Later on in the poem, he goes to sleep. And when he wakes, he's alone in the castle. And in the story, he wakes up and he's alone. Uh, in the Grail, it's just one of several artifacts presented to Percival, and it's not yet described as a cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. That would come later. That would get retconned. And the Percival story is really kind of trippy. He just goes into a castle, sees shiny objects, goes to sleep, and is alone. So even though the Grail at that point isn't, you know, the, the special magic Jesus cup, it is still something that is numinous and mysterious. And fittingly, the Percival story is unfinished. It doesn't really have ending. It just sort of stops, kind of like this movie. Um, another big grail story later on in the poem is a poem called Joseph Demaranthi. I'm just saying that wrong, uh, by Robert Barron. It's from some, sometime in the 12th century, and that's the story that retcons the grail into being the Jesus cup uh, that he used at the Last Supper, and in some stories catches his blood when he's being crucified. And... Later on, there's another story called The Vulgate Cycle by an anonymous author uh, where Lancelot finds the grail. Later still, in other works, Galahad, who's supposedly all pure and stuff. In some versions, he's also Lancelot's kid. He finds it, and now I'm going to skip over a few hundred years of history and mention that King Arthur found a popular imagination for much of the Renaissance. And people just weren't into Arthurian stuff for a while. And isn't it weird that Shakespeare doesn't have an Arthur play? Yes, I've always thought that too. Thank you. It's weird that Shakespeare did not write a King Arthur play. I wish he did. It seems like a missed opportunity. Uh, but King Arthur just wasn't that popular back then. It's kind of like, I wish that Joss Whedon would write an Aliens movie. That would be amazing. It's too bad that never happened. Arthur came back into vogue in the 1800s with romantic poets like Tennessee, who wrote Arthurian poems like The Lady of Shalott which you might remember as being the lyrics to the Lorena McKennett song that your friends tried to play at an SCA event that one time. <laughs> and later on, there was Mark Twain. He wrote a Connecticut Yankee in King, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, uh, which I haven't read. Time it's travel. delightful. Yeah. It's time travel. Yes. Sentence DeLorean. But when I was looking into this, reading up on all these tales or poems, spending way too much time with Geoffrey of Monmouth and Chrétien de Troyes, and uh, I got really into this kind of medieval shared universe over time, space, and several different creators. And I guess a more academic person than me, and I am but a podcaster, they would call that folklore or something, but I couldn't stop thinking about comic books because I'm a dork. Um, I couldn't stop comparing Ar King Arthur, his knights, and all the tropes, events, and quests being replayed again and again in a lot of different ways to the way that other different iconic events and tropes are replayed again and again in lots of different ways, like constantly seeing Krypton blow up or seeing Batman's parents get murdered. Every single time, it adds another layer of perspective to those events, and they get richer. And I am totally fine with King Arthur not being real. In fact, I actually prefer that King Arthur isn't real. 
If he was real, there would be a definitive Arthur. An Arthur that would overshadow all the other versions of Arthur in books, in film, in comics, in everything. Uh, if King Arthur was real, he just turned out to be some medieval dude who murdered people and occasionally wore a shiny hat. And that mundanity, that would overshadow all of the cool fiction. Fictional Arthur is better because fictional Arthur is who we decide he is. If we want him to be a mystical warrior from that 180s movie, Excalibur, he is. If we want him to be the kid from The Sword and the Stone, he is. If we want him to belt out songs in that musical Camelot, he does. And the Arthur in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, that's the real Arthur too. They're all the real Arthur. Yeah, just like, okay. Batman from the Tim Burton movies, it's the real Batman. Batman as Adam West, the real Batman. Batman from the Dark Knight, Batman from the excellent Batman 66 comic series, which you should read right now. They're all the real Batman, and so it is with Arthur. And I like, like that a lot more than if he just turned out to be some murdering Welsh guy from the Middle Ages. So, Shepard Perry once said that every spoof, Shepard Perry, the street artist, he once said that every spoof gives the original more power. That instead of insulting something and demeaning something, you're just adding on another layer, and you're thrusting that thing into the popular imagination from a different angle. And I think that's actually very much the case with this movie. I think that if you like Arthurian legend, this movie is just another way that King Arthur can express himself. The same way that Batman doing the Batusi and Batman being grim and gritty in those, one movie, those movies that just came out, both are completely legitimate. Icons are amazing like that. I would take that over real stuff any day. Enjoy the show. All right, hope you folks enjoyed that. And I hope that this is the first of many live events we end up doing. Please do like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash interesting times with Joe Streckert. Donate to our Patreon campaign. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on support IT on Patreon, and I would really appreciate that because, again, I work for my listeners rather than advertisers. We are on Stitcher. I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. I'm on Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com. All of it, you know, like things, retweet things, reblog things, contribute to Patreon, go on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, engage with us on social media. All right. Thanks, folks. I'll see you next week.